this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Titus with Devoted to Good Works and then move into Ruth with Intro to Ruth, Naomi Prepares to Return to Bethlehem, Ruth's Loyalty, and Call Me No More, Naomi. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. So tell me why. Listener feedback on issues, etc., audio quality. And we're very grateful when listeners tell us that they're hearing something a little wrong. Sometimes we don't notice it. In this case, we have some feedback on our recent interview with Terry Mattingly and a question about women's suffrage in the church. Greetings and welcome to Issues, etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll go through listener email on the Issues, etc., comment line. Then Michael Graham, co-author of the new book, The Great De-Churching, Who's Leaving, Why Are They Going, and What Will It Take to Bring Them Back? We'll talk about de-churching in America. Let's begin with a great comment from Jason. He says, Mark Hemingway Audio is the subject of his email. He said, Mark's fading in and out again in episode 0161. We're aware of the problem. We heard it during the interview. It actually used to be a little worse. He has a problem that sounds to me, not to get too technical, but it sounds to me like at his end, he's running his mic input through some pretty heavy compression. That's what it sounds like to me, is that he's got his his audio too highly compressed. He assures us that he's not running his audio through any compression whatsoever. He changed microphones to kind of the standard that we use with many of our guests, not true. Who are not in studio. He didn't. No, he, we we bought him one, oh. and, and he 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 got tired of us complaining about the last couple of interviews, and he went and bought one, a different one on his own. All right, so he changed microphones. It's marginally better, but what was happening in that audio that you referenced there is whenever he would pop his peas, which is every every guest is different, and Mark sometimes pops his peas. When he popped his peas, that compression would kick in and immediately make him much softer than he ought to be. And then it would slowly come back. So we have tried to troubleshoot this ourselves in-house. We always assumed the problems on our end to begin with. We tried Tony at Comrex, our good friend. Yeah, Tony's been, the for de- decades, been been the, one of the best technical help to us when we have problems with equipment. And we went to... The so, best engineer in Greater St. Louis, Ralph. We went to Ralph. I can't remember what Ralph said in his email. So we know it's not microphone related. Same problem, two different mics. Yep. So it's not a microphone, right? So Ralph said it has to be something internal in Mark's PC or laptop, an internal setting, audio setting in there. And it did some troubleshooting over the weekend that it's possible that like a Windows 11 update or something could have things checked for audio compression. So my guess is there's some setting in his sound card, in his computer, that is doing this by default, and it's manifesting itself with a slightly different but very similar problem no matter what mic he's using. It's a little bit better, but it's still not great. 
we went in and tried to remove some of the pops, just manually went in and then tried to bring up some of the audio, the post-pop fade of the audio. But you can only do that so much. And it's much better than it used to be, but it's just a, a problem that we, if we could get to Alexandria, Virginia, get up into his office and open up his settings and take a look at them, his sound card settings, I bet you we could solve this if we could get Ralph out there, which was, this is not going to happen. So we're working on it. We've had the same problem. We sent the same equipment to Dr. John Work Montgomery. It worked once. Since that time, we've been doing phone interviews with Dr. Montgomery. We spent a lot more money sending what's called a Comrex brick to guests. And that's what you'll hear with what? Roseboro, Wolf Miller, Mattingly. It's a much more expensive piece of equipment. Yeah, it's so it's like $2,500 worth of equipment, microphone with the brick link, and, and then a little mixing board, which we know how to control. But we're trying to s- spend about a tenth of the money and send a USB mic with headphones that connect to a, a laptop or a PC. The same thing I was using yesterday when I was at home during an ice storm. And we still did the show because all I had to do was take my my Blue Yeti mic, plug it into my PC, click a link, and we were connected like we were in the studio. Only yesterday, my end of the connection kept falling out. Most listeners didn't know that. Let's say listen to the top of the the first hour. There was no Wilkin saying what was happening in the second hour. It it disconnected every bit of, if not more than 20 times in the course of the the live show. The pre-recording that we did never disconnected once. But... I, I checked to see if my son was downstairs gaming. He's got himself a fancy new gaming rig for Christmas. And he said he wasn't, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> he was also so, home for the ice storm, so it's highly yes. likely. So the bad news about trying to save a lot of money is we can't get in the internal settings of everybody's PCs and laptops and every, depending on the operating system, it changes, fluctuates. Now, listen, we got the smartest listeners in podcasting and in radio. Maybe someone can listen to that last Mark Hemingway interview. Listen closely with some headphones and tell us what they think it is. And it sounds to me all for all the world like some kind of audio compression. And that compression, remember when we first started, when we came back, after our being fired by the LCMS, when we came back, the guy who put together the studio for us there at our old location had run our mics through some processing and including compression. And we discovered very quickly that he just kind of randomly set it at some spot. And it was so compressed, I had to yell to get the mic to pick me up. And we could all hear it. And luckily, someone was there if I, if I recall, Smokey Joe was there or somebody was there. The guy who built the, who was that guy's name? Well, John, Smokey. John, John was the the master engineer. Yes. And then Bruce was the Bruce, his assistant. The yeah. guy who wired the board for us. Yes. So he, one of them was there and then they started fiddling with it. And, and look, the knob on the, on that compression unit, if you turned it one millimeter, one way or the other, it made, it's so sensitive, made a big difference. So any amount of compression is going to be. It took us a while to comp- to get that perfected for Whedon because Whedon yells and Wilkin doesn't. So we have to have a different level of compression for Will Whedon than it does for Wilkin. 
So send an email to talk back at issues ETC or give me a call 618-223-8385 to all our friends who love good audio quality as much as we do. And again, based on our guests complaints. Yeah. Nobody loves audio quality better than we do. <laughs> it doesn't help. And I love Mark that he's a bit of a curmudgeon. So I think I'm understating the case that he's a bit of a curmudgeon. And so when you ask him for the fourth time, are you sure you don't have a settings in your sound card? Well, if He's your just wife, likely if, to hang up If on your you. wife asks you four times in a row, I think anybody four times in a row is going to be a curmudgeon, correct? Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll just let the listeners on, in on a little secret. Jeff is persistent. Probably too persistent. And he's persistent to the point of, he won't ask Annoying. you four times, he'll ask you 17 times. And so I think that could... The combination of Jeff's yeah. persistence and his curmudgeonliness. Yeah. If you spend too much time with me, you're probably going to turn into a curmudgeon too. Yep. Clint from Michigan writes, Dear Pastor Wilkin, I'm a former Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod member who's now happily in a confessional Lutheran church, Missouri Synod congregation. The only thing I still wrestle with in coming to the LCMS is whether women's suffrage in church especially is right or wrong. According to your interview you had in episode 2181 on August 6, 2021, Dr. Sherb explained that the LCMS didn't permit women's suffrage until 1969. First question, do you think it was a mistake to allow it, and does it violate the order of creation? Dr. Sherb seemed to imply it was wrong, or at least something worth reconsidering. At least that was my take on what he said. And while in the wells, we were taught that since voters' assembly can remove a pastor's call, hopefully for biblical reasons, that only men could vote on such an action because it would be exercising authority over another man. Likewise, the voters in a congregation, which include women who vote to excommunicate a man, are exercising churchly authority over another man. Is that a violation of the order of creation? How should I understand this? What is your take on it? Should the LCMS reverse course on this matter or not? Any insights would be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening in Michigan. Clint. First of all, let me commend the conversation with Dr. Ken Sherb on that subject to all of our listeners. You can find it. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, and just enter Sherb. Well, that would probably be too broad. Enter uh, women's suffrage. Spell it correctly, please. And you will find the conversation there because he did a great historical treatment of it. Ken is a master of those kinds of things. And you're right. Ken did say, look, this is something that we probably should not have done. And his reasons were complex, but the best of them was this came with an overt rejection by many of the order of creation, the, the headship of man and it came with along with that. And so it can't, that action can't be divorced from the rejection of the order of creation. There's still some, sadly, in the LCMS who feel real cringy when they hear about the order of creation. They don't outright reject it because they know it's in the Bible, but it's one of those biblical teachings that makes them cringe. And that's unfortunate. So theologically, had we remained consistent there, we should have both affirmed the order of creation, which, by the way, the LCMS has done multiple times since 1969. And we should have said, we have to have a better rationale for the introduction of women's suffrage. And you laid out the reasons why it is deemed problematic. In a practical sense, I will say, it's a problem that seldom crops up. Most of the time, what the voters' assembly is doing 
first of all, the voters assembly is a very small cross section of most congregations. What's the quorum number for your congregation? Think about it. Okay. If you have to have a voters assembly, your constitution requires a quorum, a minimum number of people there present. And if you think about what that number is for most congregations and that most congregations, unless they're really dealing with something big, have a hard time getting their quorum. They usually have to go out on the street and pull someone in to get their quorum. In a practical sense, this is very seldom a problem. But in those very rare cases that you mentioned in your email, it does present a problem. Some congregations have split the difference. They've said, look, in matters of the, where there's neither here nor there to what we're doing, matters of budget, whatever it may be, then all can vote. But in matters where some kind of theological oversight is going to be exercised, you mentioned excommunication and deal with the pastor, then the men would vote and the women would simply be present. I think that's a, a good solution. <laughs> but what we're dealing with here is a practice that is neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture, that is the voters' assembly, neither commanded nor forbidden. It's a matter of Christian freedom that connects to a profound biblical truth, the order of creation, that we are not at liberty to reject. Now, if a congregation can say, we're going to have women's suffrage, but we are going to, at the same time, fully reaffirm our commitment to the order of creation, and we're going to practice this women's suffrage in such a way that it does not confess something other than the order of creation, I have no problem with that. But most congregations are kind of sloppier than that when it comes to dealing with this. As another practical matter, guess what? It's here to stay. So we have to find a way of teaching correctly in spite of a very confusing, at least confusing, practice. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. 
Bethel Lutheran Church in Howard City, Michigan, preaches Christ and Him crucified. At Bethel, God's word of salvation is boldly proclaimed in all its truth, and the sacraments are rightly administered. These means of grace help us peacefully navigate the craziness of this world. Bethel is centrally located between Grand Rapids and Big Rapids, just two miles east of US-131. Our divine services are at 9.30 a.m. Join us this Sunday to receive God's marvelous gifts of grace. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line. In a little bit, Michael Graham will join us to talk about de-churching in America. Consider what Scripture says about God's forgiveness. Forgiveness means that our entire debt to God for our sins has been paid in full. Forgiveness releases us from the judgment of condemnation from God. Forgiveness means that our iniquities have been removed from us as far as the East is from the West. Forgiveness means that through Christ we have been made righteous before God. From the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This is published by Concordia Publishing House. If you give them a call, you can order the book, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy on our website, issuesetc.org. And whenever you purchase the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, please request the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, whether online or by phone call. Dennis, Colorado, would you please be willing to discuss the doctrine of deification? It's a disturbing theology from Mormonism. In particular, they link Psalm 82.5 and John 10, verse 34, quote, you are God's, end quote. In addition, they cherry-pick the church fathers, like St. Augustine, to say deification was a norm. I find their use of these passages particularly deceptive to Christians, if possible, it would be great to have a good hour-long segment for refuting this awful heresy with as much biblical and church father support as possible. Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening at Colorado Dennis. And we can certainly respond to the Mormon view of deification, which is, in a nutshell, all human beings on earth are said by the Mormons to be a descendant from God, their God. They begin as kind of divine babies in heaven, then through human agency of reproduction, they are allowed some time to live their human existence here on earth. And then if they are good temple-going Mormons, they will enter the highest tier of eternal life and will be deified. That is, their full divinity will be realized and they will become gods of their own universes. And yes, that means that they believe that the God that they worship was once a man and that all the Mormons who have, good Mormons who have gone on to the highest level of heaven are in fact now gods of their own universes. It's a profound confusion of everything. It is central, absolutely central to Mormon teaching. It's not something that's incidental or they just so happen to believe this thing. It is central to their entire system of salvation. It basically goes in and redefines all the terms that they use that they have in common, at least in the actual words, with Christian vocabulary. And yes, they do attempt to say that it was taught by the early church, then lost, of course, and that it's also taught in Scripture and that it's taught 
by some of the church fathers, like you have very rightly pointed, they will cherry pick the church fathers and take them out of context. What did the early church believe about what Lutherans called the mystical union? What did the church fathers confess about it? Well, quite simply that God became man so that we might, through Jesus Christ, in the resurrection, fully participate in the life of God and have a part in his nature. It never ceases to be his nature, but to have our natures transformed so that we participate in the divine nature of God. And we are not made gods. We do not become gods. We do not go off and become gods of our own universes. We simply are, are through Christ's redemption, at the resurrection, fully participating in the life of the divine trinity. That God's life, we now live from God entirely, uh, body and soul, in the resurrection, and participate in his life and everything that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy. But we're not talking about becoming gods. The term theosis or divination is used variously by different Christian confessions. The Orthodox tend to push too hard on that term and sound a little Mormon from time to time, although they are very clear on rejecting Mormon's errors, the Mormonism's errors. But they push too hard on the term. The best thing that's been written about this recently has been from Dr. Jordan Cooper, and I can't remember the name of his theosis book, but he goes through and he talks, he goes through the scriptures, the confessions, the church fathers, you go through all these, and he says, look, this is a legitimate teaching that Lutherans ought to embrace because it's taught both by scripture and by the Lutheran confessions. I would step away from the term theosis because it's too easily misunderstood and simply talk about the mystical union between the believer and Christ. Through Christ, we will, in the resurrection, participate and do now by faith participate fully in the life of God. That book, by the way, by Jordan Cooper is uh, Christification, a Lutheran Approach to Theosis. And we did a multi-part series on that book. We also had a really good interview on that same subject with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures right. Forever. Paul writes, Paul Harvey gave a speech entitled God Made a Farmer in the 70s. It had the same cadence and similar themes to the shorter God Made Trump video. Harvey's speech was even made into a Super Bowl ad several years ago. I think this tips the scales towards parody or homage. Excellent show. Terry Mattingly continues to be one of your more insightful guests. There you go. Thanks for all you do, concludes Paul. Terry has those fans out there, doesn't he? I'm one uh, of them. <clears throat> yeah. So we pointed that out in the conversation we had with Terry that the, whether parody or not, the, the God Made Trump video that was circulating on social media and causing people at the New York Times to clutch their pearls and fall to their fainting couches, most likely a parody, it was based upon Paul Harvey's famous speech, God Made a Farmer. That speech was turned into a, I think it was a Dodge Ram commercial for the Super Bowl. I remember seeing it thinking, wow, this is, this is just an absolutely great marketing angle. So in all these farmers using Dodge pickups to do their jobs and having it run under Paul Harvey's famous speech there. So the spe I highly recommend go listen to the speech. It's really, really good. It's quintessential Paul Harvey. And for those of you who were born too late and don't know who Paul Harvey was, he was a radio legend who, he had a syndicated, what would you call that, Jeff, a feature? I mean, it was, was it a full half hour show? No. It was, it was a feature. Commentary. It, was it was a commentary. It was a couple minutes. 
and just a kind of a legendary conservative commentary on American culture and life, very distinctive way of speaking. And uh, he was the radio person that was not afraid of dead air. And he used it to great effect. If you listen to him, you realize that pausing a little bit and not saying something gives the listener a chance to hear what you've said. The rest of the story. Yeah, that's the rest of the story. Here's an email about your propensity to run low on gas. Roxy and Texas writes, here's a suggestion for Pastor Wilkin regarding your gas tank filling issue. For readiness purposes, I nearly always get gas when my gauge is at half full. I don't have your size tank. You could bite the bullet and fill up one time. Then going forward, just top off when you reach half a tank. You won't have to look at the dollars and you'll never run out of gas. Smartest listeners in podcasting. Thank you, Roxy in Texas. Absolutely smartest listeners. That's a great idea. I will do that tonight because... Yesterday morning, when I ventured out very briefly to check on my grandchildren, in spite of the ice storm, my gauge again said zero miles too empty. So I also stopped and got some gas. I was very thankful, by the way, that the gas station, whoever was manning the gas station, had thoroughly treated the the area around the pumps so that when I stepped out, I didn't have to maintain my control. It was really, really, really slippery yesterday. That last email came from Texas. And since we're on the subject of cars regarding your phobia of driving in inclement weather, I gave you a new nickname. What's that? Texas Todd. <laughs> you know, cracks me these people in Texas. We're the toughest, roughest people. Oh my goodness. And I'm not throwing you in this, but yeah. oh my goodness. Look at when you get a, like a, an inch of snow in Texas, all yeah. those tough Texans, you know, turn into snowflakes. I, uh, Sorry, I, Texas. I, I love for, you. Just for the record, I had no problem with coming in as long as I was get, allowed to come in a little late after the roads were nice and safe. And, and the, the main roads were nothing yesterday. They had pre-treated. Our parking lot, LPR parking lot, was extremely unsafe. Ask Lord Feichtinger. Oh, my goodness. It was like a skating yep. rink out there. But I did not ask. I did not ask, much to my wife's chagrin. I did not ask to stay home yesterday but as it, as it turned out, by the time we got done with one of our first interviews, Jeff's like, well, you might as well just stay there. We'll just do the rest of these interviews. And it worked out. Although I was thinking yesterday how much easier it is to do this thing in studio. Oh, because I was. Oh, you I, ought to ask Craig and me. I know. Yes. And I was doing it on my end. I was doing it in the kids' playroom surrounded by stuffed animals. And I was sitting in a rocking chair. I had my mic sitting on a step stool thing in front of me and my laptop was over here on another step stool thing and it was physically very awkward and then of course I was having to deal with the dropouts in real time and and then I'm knowing all along that this makes the job for Jeff and Craig like three times harder to do it this way so were the grandkids sleeping because Craig and I you were your volume you weren't projecting like you normally do so I said my first thing was maybe his headphones are turned up too high or maybe the grandkids are napping and no, he doesn't wake them up it was it was the grandkids were at their house i was at my house we just have a playroom for the kids there that used to be my son's room the reason was i think i had my headphones up too high which makes me so, go softer and i'd lost my voice on sunday and i was just trying to take it easy a little bit 
Peter, Three Rivers, Michigan. Listen to your comment on how you check study Bibles by looking first to 1 Corinthians 11 on the Lord's Supper. So having almost 10 study Bibles, I may have an addiction. <laughs> I checked, and you are right, Pastor Wilkin. Although the best comment came from the English Standard Version where they take no stance, just explaining all views regarding the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. And that's that's a fair way of approaching it, knowing if you're writing a study Bible, that there's going to be people of all different confessions and denominations using this resource to say, here are all the views fairly treated, just fairly described. Here are all the views on this particular passage. But when you have a study Bible that will outright deny Christ's words or try and reword Christ's words, that's not an honest approach to study Bible notes at all. Here's one final email, Scott in Duluth, Minnesota. I've been listening to you throughout the past 20 years. Well, thank you very much, Scott. You both seem to get better and better each and every year. I especially enjoy the looking forward to Sunday morning episodes. I think it's good that you have changed the guests over the past couple of years so that there is a new perspective on the particular lectionary readings. While I love hearing Dr. Fikensher, I am equally enjoying Pastor Denzer. Keep up the good work, concludes Scott in Duluth, Minnesota. So we started with Dr. Carl Fikensher on the three-year series and Pastor David Peterson. I guess he's Dr. David Peterson now, too. I forgot about that. On the one-year series, of course, one-year series just lasted one year. And the three-year series, we had to do three years. And then we said, and we played them as reruns. And then we said, you know what? This is evergreen. Let's see what we can do. So we went to Pastor Peter Bender for the one-year series and to Sean Denzer for the three-year series. And then I think after a year, we said, we'll do Pastor Whedon for the one-year series because that thing only goes one year. And it's it's like going to church every Sunday. You, you, get, you hear the same text, but they're always new. There's always something else there, and you need to hear it anyway. So when we come back, it's time to talk about de-churching in America with the Michael Graham author of the book, The Great De-Churching. Communication's never been as easy as today And it would make me happy when you've gone so far away You sent me an email that says I love you Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world. 
specifically pastors who are asking for additional education, but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus Christ. 